Well, if you would remain standing, we come today in the book of John to one of the most beloved passages in the entire gospel. For some of us, the most beloved passage in maybe the entire Bible, John 15, verses 1 to 17. It should be up on the screens as I read it. Hear the word of the Lord for us today. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that your joy may, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command to you, that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. You may sit down and let's go to the Lord now in prayer as we seek to understand it. Father in heaven, we marvel at your holy word. And we ask that you would help it to land on fertile soil within our hearts, that you might bear much fruit through it as we receive it and apply it. Lord, we ask that your spirit would do this work within us. And we pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, every single one of us is a joy seeker. We all seek joy in some form or fashion. But on our own, we search for joy in all the wrong places. Just this week, I was reminded of this reality in a tragic way as I read about the premature death of a famous TV actor. If you grew up in the 90s, he's famous. A guy named Matthew Perry. This guy is a uh, known as Chandler on Friends, if you ever watched that show. And he died this past week, and earlier this year, he was quoted as saying this, there was no one who wanted to be more famous than me. And unlike most people with that kind of desire, 
Matthew Perry actually achieved it. Fame, fortune, he had it all at a very young age. But he soon realized that fame and fortune and influence don't satisfy the deepest longing of our souls. And so he tried to find joy temporarily in other places, in substances, and he became addicted to many of them. And, and this, uh, these addictions really ruined his body and ultimately likely led to his death. Well, most of us don't have this kind of extreme or dramatic story, but it typifies this reality that is true for all of us, that we all pursue joy. We're all seeking joy in one form or another. Regardless of gender or background or our age or stage in life, we are all joy seekers. And that's because God has given us kind of this, uh, this desire for joy within our hearts. And in today's passage, Jesus unlocks the key to lasting joy. And that key is this. It's that fullness of joy comes by abiding in Jesus. Fullness of joy comes by abiding in Jesus. And so that means if we wanna have this type of joy, if we wanna have lasting joy in our life that's not gonna lead to uh, death and destruction, we need to know what it means to abide in, in Jesus. And our passage gives us two realities of abiding in Jesus. The first reality is that abiding in Jesus is the only way to bear spiritual fruit. Abiding in Jesus is the only way to bear spiritual fruit. We see that in verses one to eight. And the second reality that we see is that abiding in Jesus is fueled by love. That's from verses nine to 17. So let's first consider that reality that abiding in Jesus is the only way to bear spiritual fruit. You see, no matter what our world might tell us, it is God who defines truth. He is the one who defines reality. And here's Jesus defining reality for us. You remember, he's just left the upper room with his disciples. He's just had his last meal, and a lot of people think he's probably walking along, and he sees this vineyard, and he stops, and he wants to teach his disciples about the reality of having a relationship with him. And so he tells them a metaphor based on what's right in front of them. And then in these first few verses, with the introduction of this metaphor, it's really important for us to understand what he's saying, because... With, as we understand what he's saying in these first three verses, we can understand the rest of the text. So let's just break it down quickly. Listen again to verse one. That's what Jesus says. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now throughout the Old Testament, Israel was depicted as a vine, or as the vineyard and a faithless one at that. So here, Jesus is saying, I'm not the faithless vine, I'm the true vine, I'm the, I'm the true Israel, that's who I am. It's similar to what we've learned throughout John's gospel as Jesus is presented to us. He's presented to us as the true light in chapter one. In chapter two, he's the true temple. The temple was pointing to him. He's the true temple. In chapter six, he is the true bread from heaven, the one whom we must feast upon if we're gonna have eternal life and spiritual nourishment forever. So Jesus declaring that he is the true vine means that he is the only source of spiritual 
uh, eternal life. And that spiritual fruitfulness comes from being in him. So he's the true vine. Next, he says that God the Father is the vine dresser. A vine dresser at this time was one who, and probably still today, I'm not a vine dresser, but is one who tended to and cultivated the vineyard. There's a scholar named C.K. Barrett. He explained it well, and he says that God being the vine dresser, it shows that he is, quote, in supreme control of the whole process. God is in supreme control of the whole process. And so Jesus is setting up this metaphor for us, and he continues in verse 2. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Now, if you skip ahead just a few verses, you learn in verse five that these branches are his disciples. And by implication for us today, it's anyone who follows Jesus. It's a a branch of Jesus. There are two types of branches, Jesus says. One that bears fruit and one that does not bear fruit. So first, there's this branch that does not bear fruit. Verse two tells us that this branch is taken away. By implication, he's taken away by the Father. And so in context, if you remember what's happening, who has just left the disciples but Judas, who's gonna betray Jesus. So in the context, Judas is this kind of branch. He is one who has abided in Christ. He's been around Christ, but he's For three years, he's seen everything Jesus has done, but he doesn't believe in him. He's not remained in him. He's he's gone to betray him. And so these kind of non-fruit-bearing branches like Judas, the father takes away. Next, there's the branch that does bear fruit. And for that one, it says that God prunes, or it could be translated, he cleanses so that he might bear or it might bear more fruit. You see, it's important to notice and to, uh, for us to remember that all fruit-bearing branches get pruned, every single one of them. And God's pruning of us is this process of sanctification, which happens over our lifetime. Sometimes he brings trials into our life to prune us. Sometimes he gives us steps of faith to prune us. He he prunes us in all different ways, but he's doing that so that we might bear more fruit throughout our lifetime. So, okay, with that metaphor established, Jesus explains it in more detail starting in verse three. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples, remember, minus Judas, he's already gone away to betray Jesus, that they are in the second category. They are fruit-bearing branches. And we know that because he says in verse three, you are already clean. That's where the Greek and English gets a little bit, you can't see the connection that Jesus is making here because this word clean in Greek is the same root as pruned in verse two. So he's saying, Jesus, that you disciples are already pruned. You're already cleansed. You're cleansed once for all because you've believed in me. But God still prunes or cleanses each one of you so that you might bear more fruit. So what, I, but what, I, what basis is it that they are clean? Well, Jesus says that it's because of his word or his message that he has spoken to them. 
What is his message? His message is the totality of what he has said and taught throughout his ministry. It's who he has claimed to be, which was equal with God, which is the only mediator between God and man, the way, the truth, the life, that whoever wants to come to the Father must come through him. It's for those who have repented of their sins and surrendered their lives to Jesus. So he's talking with his disciples who are believing this message that he is the way, the truth, the life. He is God himself. And so this is an extension to believers. And by extension, it's a message for Christians today. So if you know and love Jesus, this is a message for you. And it's really important for us to understand the importance of how Jesus communicates. He says, you're already clean because of the word I spoke to you. Just like last week, we need to remember that the order is important, that by saving faith comes first before we ever think about obeying him. So it's, he's addressing those who have been saved by grace through faith. It's nothing that they have done to deserve their current position. They are already clean because they have believed. It's by the grace of God. And so if that is you today, if you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, if you are believing in him, Jesus is commanding this to you today. Listen to verse four. He's commanding this. Abide in me and I in you. So believer, to you, Jesus is saying today, abide in him. You could say continue with him, remain with him, persevere with him, be, stay close to him. The implication, again, is that you're already with him. That's the position you've been given by believing in Christ. You are already with him, but stay there. Remain there. Continue there. Why do the disciples need this command? Why do we need this command to remain or to stay? Well, in the context of this passage, it's because we'll learn that there are gonna be many who hate them because they belong to Christ. There's gonna be many temptations to leave Christ, to not abide in him. And even today, for many of us, depending on our careers, depending on our station in life, there are temptations every single day to kind of not abide in Christ. Because don't be surprised, Jesus says, when the world hates you. They will hate you because of me. And so we need this reminder to abide. So Jesus says, abide in me. But then he says, and I in you. This helps us to see that abiding is not an impossible task that we're just trying really hard to do. I mean, I've never really sat and watched a branch, but it doesn't look like it's in agony all the time, you know. It doesn't look like it's trying really hard to bear fruit. Uh, we, it, it's not about how hard we try, but it's who we are connected to. We need to be connected to the vine. So if you know and love Jesus, you don't abide with your own strength. You don't try really hard to produce fruit on your own. Johnny Erickson Tata captures it well of what this means when she says, abiding is living in constant awareness of total dependence on Jesus living in constant awareness of total dependence on Jesus. We talked about this some last week. That means if you believe in Jesus, Christ dwells in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. He makes his home within you. 
and he makes his home within you to clean house, as it were. He's changing your desires. He's changing your behaviors. He's changing you to be more conformed to his likeness and into his image. He doesn't just stay there and do nothing. He stays there and he transforms us to be like him. And part of that transformation process is that pruning process. And sometimes, you know, again, I'm not a branch, but I can imagine if you got part of you cut off, that would hurt. And sometimes when Jesus wants us to change and become more like him and to bear more fruit, there's a part of us that he wants to, us to cut out and to stop. And it feels like part of us has fallen by the wayside, but it's so that we might bear more fruit for his glory. So what Jesus is saying is that you abiding in him is predicated on him abiding in you, that he is abiding in you. He's giving you the power to abide in him. As we continue in verse four, Jesus gives a warning now about those who are not abiding in him while sharing a wonderful promise for those of us who do. Listen to what he says. He says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the point Jesus is making here is very straightforward. There, on one hand, there's whoever is abiding in him. And that person will bear much fruit. That's a promise. If you abide in Christ, you will bear fruit. And the person who seems to be in him but bears no fruit, this could be someone who comes to church, hangs around Christians, kind of is interested in spiritual things and in Jesus. But that person who bears no fruit is not really in him, meaning there's no real belief, there's no life, there, therefore there can be no fruit. Because apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. That doesn't mean you can't go and tie your shoes apart from Jesus. Of course you can. He's talking about spiritual realities here. You can not bear spiritual fruit, anything that will last apart from him. So there might be some temporary fruit that seems like it's real, but it, it may wither over time. No lasting spiritual root, uh, fruit can come from someone who is not abiding in Jesus. And that's because, he says, just as a disconnected branch from a grapevine can't start producing grapes, neither can an unbeliever produce lasting spiritual fruit. Because it's gotta come from God himself. He's the source, he's the fuel, he's the one who's empowering that fruit to come out. Well, listen to the terrifying fate of those who are in this category, those who do not abide in him. It's in verse six. Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. This is a, a terrifying passage if you do not believe in Jesus. Because what he is saying is that those who do not believe in him and therefore who are not abiding in Jesus and therefore are not producing lasting spiritual fruit they have the same future awaiting them as these fruitless branches. They will be thrown into the fire and burned. 
In other words, they will suffer eternal punishment in hell apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a terrifying verse. So abiding and fruit-bearing, what we're learning from Jesus, they're like dashboard indicators that are popping up on our dashboard, and it's indicators of what has already happened under the hood of your soul. So it's those who have believed in Christ popping up on the dashboard, under the, soul, under the hood of your soul, these things popping up. It's gonna be a spiritual fruit that's gonna pop up. There's gonna be abiding in him. It's gonna pop up. So if you have believed in Jesus, the promise is you will abide and you will bear fruit. Yes, there's different levels of fruit. That's what the pruning is about. There's different stages of sanctification. That's what it's all about. But you will bear fruit if you are in Christ and you will abide. And if you have not truly believed in Jesus, you will not abide and you will not bear spiritual fruit. So this is kind of a bit abstract. You're, you're trying to think, well, what is this fruit? How, what do you mean bearing fruit? How do I bear fruit in my life? Well, this fruit that is promised to come out of us when we're in Jesus, he begins to answer that question in verse seven, and he'll do so later in the passage as well. Listen to what Jesus says. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So let's break that down just a little bit. This first part of verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Those are parallel to what Jesus said back in verse five when he said, abide in me and I in you. So what this means is that a key to having Jesus abiding in you, if you want Jesus abiding in you, it means that his words are dwelling within you. It means that God's word is constantly taking root in your life, that you have uh, heard it, you have received it, you're meditating on it, you're seeking to obey it and apply it in your life. That's what it means, partially. I mean, there's other things, but that's partially what it means for Jesus to be abiding in you. It's that his word is abiding in you. And so friends, this is a good time to pause and consider. What role does God's word have in your life on a daily basis? Because if you are wanting to abide in Jesus and you want him to abide in you, it means his word must be dwelling within you. That that means you're, you're reading it, you're hearing it preached. All of you are hearing it preached right now. You're seeking to apply it. You're thinking about it. You're talking to others about it. So what role does the word have in your life? And are you seeking to obey it in the power of the spirit? Because when that is happening, when Jesus is abiding us, when his words are abiding in us, you will be seeking to obey God's will in this way that Jesus says. He says, ask whatever you wish. If you're doing that, if, you, if his words are abiding in you, if you're seeking to obey him, if you're thinking his thoughts after him, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. A lot of times this verse is ripped out of context. It's kind of like, well, I love this verse. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done. It feels like Aladdin or something like that. Well, it's far from it. That's not what's happening here. We need to be careful uh, lest we do think of God as this cosmic genie in the sky. 
Actually, it's the opposite. When we're abiding in Jesus and his word is abiding in us, it means that our hearts will be in a place where we want to honor and glorify God no matter what. It means that when we pray, we will be praying and in line with God's will. And that's why we're gonna see answered prayer. And he will answer those prayers when offered according to his word. And, and that's where we see this link of what is the fruit the fruit in this passage, in verse seven at least, some of the fruit to which he's referring is answered prayer. What kind of answered prayer? Well, answered prayer for a transformed life, transformed other lives, people coming to Christ. There's all sorts of answered prayer that Jesus wants to answer, God the Father wants to answer as we pray according to his will. That's some of the fruit. The basic point of it is we will become more like Christ and we will see Christ-like things happening around us as we pray according to his will. Bingham Hunter in his excellent book, The God Who Hears, says that obedience is a means that God uses to train us to pray according to his will. So if we want to grow in this kind of prayer and seeing the fruit that God promises, it's linked to our obedience, which we're going to get to in the next section. And this obedience is not drudgery. It's not like going to the dentist. Some people like going to the dentist. I don't know many of you who like going to the dentist. But it's, it's obedience motivated by and fueled by joy. So when you're in this state of abiding in Christ, when you pray and ask for what you desire, your desires will be in line with God's will. He will hear those prayers and he will answer. Like we said a couple weeks ago, that doesn't mean it's gonna be a one-to-one connection. We don't always know how he's answered and sometimes we need to ask for the Spirit's insight of how he has answered those prayers that are offered according to his will. But he will hear us and he will respond. Well, with all that talk about fruit, about abiding, about uh, not having fruit. Maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're a visitor, maybe you've been around church for a while and you are realizing for the first time, I've never believed in Jesus. I don't, I don't have any desire to abide in him, to remain with him. I don't even consider his word. I don't consider even wanting to please him. And if you're honest, you haven't seen that throughout your life. So if that's you today, the warning is very clear. That will lead to your eternal destruction. And yet, there's good news. God's grace is open wide for you. His arms are open wide. He he wants you to repent and believe in him, even today, so that you would be made clean, so that you might bear fruit. And so if you have never done that, You can do that today just by praying even uh, right now or when we take communion, whatever it is. You can pray and ask God, save my soul. I'm a sinner. I need your grace. I want to follow you. I want you to come take over my life and you will be made clean and that will not be true of you. Well, many of us do believe, but if you're honest, it feels like there's very little spiritual fruit coming out of your life. And if you're in that stage right now, I'd say to you, this could be a time of pruning. We don't always see all the big bushels of fruit, 
Sometimes it's, it's maybe a little more winter time. God's doing something. You don't see what he's doing. He could be pruning you, uh, and it's a, a little bit of a dry season that he's preparing uh, for more fruit to come out in the future. The Lord could be testing you and growing your faith in ways you cannot see. So if, if you're in that state, if you are a believer, but you're not seeing fruit, keep abiding. Don't stop abiding. In, in the word and in prayer, individually, in groups, come to Bible study, all those kind of things. Still abide and still press on. Fruit will come. Fruit is probably there more than you see, but it will come. Or maybe you're in a, a situation where right now you are really bothered by your sin. You're really bothered by your spiritual apathy. You don't have a desire. You know you believe in Jesus, but you don't have any desire to follow him. And you know that because you're not walking closely with Jesus. If that's you this morning, I would suggest there's evidence that the Spirit is working in your life. Because if he wasn't working in your life, you wouldn't care if you're not walking with Jesus. So the fact that you care about this sin and whatever it is, this distance, is a good thing. It means the Spirit's at work. But your call today is the same as the one who has never believed. It's to repent. Repent of those sins. Maybe it's the sin of not really believing who Jesus is and what he promises. Repent that you have sought joy outside of Jesus and you are currently seeking joy in other places. And then believe in him, not for salvation, but for the restoration of your fellowship with him, that you might see fruit come freely out of your life. And then move forward one step at a time in obedience to him. So this first reality about abiding in Jesus is that it is the only way to bear spiritual fruit. There's no other way to bear lasting spiritual fruit than abiding in Jesus. It leads us to the second reality about abiding in Christ, and it is that abiding in Jesus is fueled by love. It's fueled by love. You remember that Beatles song back in the 60s? Actually, only a few of you do, unless you like music. They said, all you need is love. All you need is love. And with some qualification, I agree with the Beatles. I, I really do on this one. Because what I mean is that in order to abide in Jesus, all we need is love. That is God's love within us. Listen to what Jesus says in verse nine. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. This is an amazing claim by Jesus. He, he tells his disciples that he has loved them just as the Father loved him. Well, how does the Father love Jesus? Well, perfectly, from the beginning of time, he's revealed his will to Jesus. This perfect love is the same love that Jesus loved the disciples with. And by implication, it's the same love that he loves us with today. It's amazing to be entered into that kind of deep, intimate love. Well, then Jesus commands us to abide in this love. Well, what does that mean? He clarifies what it means in verse 10. He says, it's this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. Well, how did Jesus keep the Father's commandments? Seen throughout the book of John, he did it perfectly. He did it every time. He did whatever the Father willed. That's how he did. He obeyed every single time perfectly. And so he says, just as I've kept my Father's commandments, so also you need to keep my commandments. 
course, we're not gonna do it perfect like Jesus, but we have his strength within us. So abiding in Jesus' love is accomplished by keeping his commands. In last week's passage, Jesus says that all those who love him will keep his commands. Now he's saying if you want to abide in his love, you have to keep his commands. So this means that abiding in Jesus' love and loving Jesus are both shown by and accomplished by obedience. And that is a surprise. Because like I said earlier, when we think about obedience, we think about drudgery. We think about duty normally. We don't think about joy. That brings us to the surprise, uh, main surprise of our passage. It's here in verse uh, 11. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, Jesus' joy was never-ending, and his joy came through obeying the Father's commands. And so, friends, Jesus is not a killjoy. He doesn't want to ruin your fun. There's this narrative out there, well, if you're a Christian, God doesn't want you to have fun. You know, he just wants to obey all these commands. Nothing could be further than the truth. He wants what's best for us. He, he wants our joy to be full, to overflowing, And the only way that that can happen is if his followers abide in him and in his love. So Jesus is saying fullness of joy comes through obedience to him. And that obedience is not fueled by our own effort, by a lot of uh, self-grit, but it's, it's fueled by his love for us that dwells within us, his empowering love. We don't often link obedience with joy, but that is what Jesus says is true. He says obedience is the key to unlocking lasting joy. Well, this joy of being, Jesus being linked with obedience is highlighted, if you remember, in Hebrews chapter 10. He says that Jesus endured the cross, that was obedience, for the joy that was set before him. So what are these commands that Jesus wants us to keep so that our joy might be full? Uh, For those of us who don't like a huge list of commands, I love how Jesus does it. He just simplifies it to one commandment. (laughs) What are these commands? All right, do this one thing in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. There it is. Do you you see this progression of love? It, it, It all flows from the Father. The Father has loved Jesus, and in that same way, Jesus has loved us, and as Jesus has loved us, so also we are to love one another. It's this love flowing from the Father to us through Jesus so that we might Uh, love others and others might see Christ in us, see God in us and glorify God. That's why abiding in Jesus is so essential. It's because the supernatural power to love in the way Jesus commands, the, the love that we have to have must come from God himself. Okay, so it's still a little bit fuzzy in our minds. Jesus reminds his disciples what this love looks like so that we can know how to love others. He does it by foreshadowing what's about to happen just some hours later. Listen to verse 13. He says, greater love has none than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for that the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. So, really, the mind-blowing nature of what Jesus is saying here cannot be overstated. He's saying, if you want to abide in my love, then obey my commands, namely the command to love one another. But this is the mind-blowing part of it. Don't love like you think of love. Like you might think of human love or even loving people as yourself, which we are commanded to do. There's, he says, love one another as I have loved you by giving my life for you. He's saying there's no greater love than sacrificing your life for your friends. And I'm calling you disciples, my friends. Remember, it's just hours before Jesus is gonna go to the cross. He's gonna be arrested. He's gonna be mocked. He's gonna be beaten. He's gonna be falsely tried. And Jesus is making known to them what is about to happen. He's going to die for them. He's saying, you wanna know what love looks like? It's, it's sacrificing yourself for another. And he's dying for his disciples and not only them, but all those of us who would believe throughout all of history. And so this great sacrifice is, is the template of love that God is calling us to when we think about loving one another. There's no greater love than the love of Jesus. It's the love that Jesus puts in our heart when we believe in him. It's the type of love he commands us to love others with. And when we love others in this way, Jesus says our joy will be full. There's fullness of joy in this kind of love. You may think like, man, I gotta like really sacrifice myself. That's gonna be a real pain. Jesus is saying, no, it's quite the opposite. When you sacrifice yourself in this way, your joy will fill to overflowing. So friends, if we have believed in Jesus, these are our marching orders. We are to love one another with sacrificial Christ-like love. We're to do to them what we would have them do to us, or even more than that, we're to love those who are unlovable, to show our words and our actions and in our words to those who are needy or broken or undeserving. We have been blessed in Christ, not to just be blessed and be just sitting there in our blessing. We're blessed so that we might be a blessing to others, to, to dispense this love to others. Well, you may be thinking, well, I'm just, you don't know me, I'm just like not a really loving person, you know? Uh, well, that's not an excuse because this love doesn't come from you. It comes from outside you. It comes from God who dwells within you when you believe in Jesus and it flows freely to those who are abiding in him. So it seems kind of basic. Well, we just gotta love one another. Well, it's not so basic because if you obey this one command, Paul says in Romans 13, you will fulfill the entire law. <laughs> you know, if you just learn how to love one another in this way, you'll be fulfilling the entire law. So what does it look like to love one another like Christ loved us? A lot, of, a lot of different ways, but let me just suggest a few. One, it looks like extreme generosity. Uh, giving to others in ways they don't deserve. This could be financially, it could be relationally, it could be giving your time. Some of the people that I know that are most joyful in life are the most generous. And you probably know that to be true as well. 
It means being willing to be inconvenienced by others and then not complaining about it when that person or people inconvenience you. <laughs> Jesus was inconvenienced all the time. It's like his, his whole life was being interrupted. It's, it's being willing to be inconvenienced by others. It means praying for others, seeking their spiritual good so that they might come to Christ or maybe flourish in Christ. It looks like extravagant grace and forgiveness to others. You may be harboring some bitterness against a fellow believer. This is a good time to confess that right before we take communion. You may say, well, you don't know what this person did to me. There's no way I would ever give grace to that person. Well, the love that Jesus loved with us, as we meditate on that, as we receive that, we will have power to give that kind of grace and forgiveness. Or we haven't even understood God's love in the first place. It also means, this loving with this kind of love means uh, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others. What greater way could we love someone in this world but to share the way that they might know and love Jesus for themselves? It's, not, it's not loving to not share the greatest news ever told. Well, there's endless ways we could go on and on, but the point is, how is the Holy Spirit directing you to love others right now? And how can you step forward in faith? Well, lest we think we can take credit for our standing in Christ or for this type of love towards others that we get the privilege of, of dispensing, Jesus gives us a key reminder in verse 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you may go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now in context, of course, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He chose these 12. Now if you want to get technical, they also chose him. It's like they, they were following him and so we're not going to get into the whole debate about who chose who. But we need to remember this that Jesus initiated the relationship with the disciples. Before they ever chose him, he chose them. And the same is true for us. If you believe in Jesus, he's the one who took the first move. He's the one who initiated before you ever pursued him. And he has chosen you, once you believe, so that you might go and bear lasting fruit. That's what disciples do. They bear Fruit. It's the normal result of trusting in Jesus, bearing fruit. If you're not bearing fruit, something's wrong. Something is off. We need to consider what is going on. One measure of this fruit, as we're talking about what does it mean to have fruit, is love, which happens to be the first fruit of the Holy Spirit that's listed in Galatians 5. So the Lord wants you to love one others in such a way that will make an internal impact. Another measure of this fruit is joy. Jesus said that these, these things so that we might have his joy within us, full, lasting joy. Again, second trait of the Holy Spirit listed in Galatians 5. Another measure of this fruit, as we saw in verse 7, is what God does through prayer. So ask for anything in Jesus' name. That's what he says. How, how, that is how Jesus would pray in the very same situation. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. As we're praying in Jesus' name, he will give us those things we're praying for because he's delighted when his, the spiritual fruit is abundant in a person's life. It shows that we are his disciples. It glorifies him because it's his fruit 
that's coming out. Friends, God is not holding back from us. He wants to overwhelm us with lasting joy and spiritual fruit as you stay connected to him. He's not a miser with fruit. Oh, you know, Jared's got enough fruit, we'll just hold back. He wants abundant fruit for all of us. It's for his own sake and his own glory. Jesus ends our section by giving us the reason for this in verse uh, 17. He says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. That gives us some great window into what we should be praying for. If we're wanting to pray in Jesus' name, what should we be praying for? We should be praying for the ability to love as Jesus loves. We should be praying that the fruit of the Spirit would be displayed in our lives and in hope fellowship and the believers around us. We should be praying that we would have eyes to see those who are in need around us, who need the gospel, who need tangible help, need tangible acts of love given to them. That we're always seeking to point them to Christ in whatever way God is calling us to love them. Loving others in this way will bring overflowing joy. Joy. It will bring lasting fruit. And this is the life of abiding in Christ. It's a life of love. It's a joy-filled life. It's, it's with God's love and joy, his, his joy poured out upon us. And if you've lived this life, you know that it's an adventure of faith. Because he's gonna call you to do things that you're like, wait, me? No. You got... You got the wrong person here. Uh, but God calls us to do things all the time so that as we step out in faith, as we pray big prayers of what he's laid on our hearts so that he might get the glory. He, we might see fruit that comes from that and that he might get the glory. So I wonder what, who the Lord is calling you to love today. I would ask you to, uh, as we have a time of prayer, just ask the Lord. Ask him for eyes to see these people. There, there could be someone just in your row today that he's calling you to love through the way you're interacting with them after the service. But it could be more than that. It could be people at work. It could be neighbors, co- coworkers, all that kind of stuff. Ask him for eyes to see. Well, as we close, I, I want us to remember that story that I mentioned at the beginning about Matthew Perry, this famous actor who died after a long battle with addiction. He was chasing elusive joy. It was never gonna be found in substances or, or fame. This week in the New York Times, Patty Davis, who's the daughter of the late President Reagan, who also struggled with addiction, she said these penetrating words. She said, I wanna tell you something about addiction. No matter who it is or what substance that person is hooked on, loneliness is at its root. Loneliness is at its root. Friends, the world cannot fulfill what every single one of us needs, nor can it satisfy our longing for lasting joy. Only Jesus can do that. So abide in him. Continue in him. Remain with him. That is the secret, the true secret of lasting joy that will never be taken from you. And so may we all take that next step in finding that lasting joy by receiving his love, remaining in it, and dispensing it to others, to a world in such desperate need of God's love. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we 
are humbled that you would include us in your plan to restore, to redeem. We're humbled that you would save us. Who are we, Lord? We were your enemies, and you died for us. And not only did you save us, you include us in your plan. You allow us to be part of what you're doing in people's lives. You pour your love into our hearts and give us the power to obey you and show your love to a dying world. So Lord, help us to do that. Help us to increase our joy as we love others through the power of your spirit. And Lord, help us to bear much fruit and so to prove to be your disciples. We pray that for your namesake. Christ's name, amen.